every good and perfect gift that you have given to us. And this morning, we want to express our gratitude by giving back to you. I ask that you bless every giver here and that for us at the church, you give us wisdom to use the resources for your kingdom and for your glory. And we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good to see everybody today. My name is uh, John I'm the lead pastor. And uh, today we are going to jump into our second part of our series called Mine, 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 and we're learning to let go. And so, so we're, we've been learning that so often in life, we love to hold on to things and hoard things. And we've been learning this new year about having open hands to what God has in store and to the resources that God has uh, given to us. So before we go there, I do want to say we revamped your bulletin. Pull it out just for a minute there. Um, and we have some ongoing things. One of the ongoing things that I want to mention here, actually I want to mention two of them. So every Sunday morning, right at 9 o'clock in the youth room, from 9 to 9.30, we pray for the church. And we pray for what God's going to do uh, here today in your hearts and lives. And if you ever want to join us, you're always welcome from 9, 9.30 Sunday mornings. And then also, um, underneath ongoing events, you're going to see something new in here. It's uh, on Tuesdays, Coffee with Pastor John. So what I want to do is anytime you have, let's say you have a the theological question, you're like, John, what about this? Or I'm curious about this. I would love to have that conversation with you. I'll sit at the Starbucks here in San Dimas from 4 to 6 in the, on Tuesday uh, evening. And um, I'd love to just chat with you. For some of you that just want to meet me and ask questions, I'm available, okay? So I'll be there every Tuesday through the kind of the academic year. I'll take the summers off. And if for some reason I'm traveling, I'll have one of our other staff members represented for me, okay? Um, and we mentioned the game earlier, but we do, we are having a Super Bowl party here. And so maybe that's something you'd want to invite your friends to. We're going to bring an appetizer that's in, in a short time, two weeks away. Okay. Um, today, today I want to talk about something that makes me almost like nervous. Um, almost, yeah, almost nervous. Uh, maybe there's like, I mentioned this to our prayer team, or the prayer group earlier. It's almost like this fear and excitement all in one. And so that I'm just like shooting straight with you. Here's, here's my heart. Here's where I'm at. And so today, I want to talk about creation care and us being stewards of creation. So let me start off with a little story. There was three timid women from Nashville, Tennessee, that had never really left that section of the country, and they decided to travel to New York City. But they were as scared as scared could be. They were so afraid that they were going to be robbed. And so they get, they get off the plane, they check into their hotel, everything's perfect, and they, they just, they fear being mugged, like, beyond anything, right? So here they, they check in, they have their card in hand, they're all excited, they go into the elevator, the hotel elevator, and right as the doors are sh shutting, a man sticks his hand between the doors and opens up the doors. And instant fear, it's a, it's a, there's a black man that just opened the doors. What do I do? And they, they're like panicked, right? And um, as soon as he enters, he says, sit down. 
And all three women instantly sit down on the elevator floor. They're like, completely sure enough, like the exact thing that they thought was going to happen, here it, here it comes. Sit down, they sit down, and then nothing else happened. They, um, they went up to the floor, the elevator doors open, the man gets out and walks away, and they look at each other and said, oh my gosh, what, what just happened? Well, that evening they got a dozen roses in their room with a note that said this, please accept these flowers and my apologies. You must not have seen my dog when I told it to sit. <laughs> I was embarrassed and I didn't know what to do, so I just got off the elevator. I'm very sorry. Signed, Reggie Jackson. <laughs> like professional baseball, Reggie Jackson. You guys know that fear makes us do funny things, right? Um, and most of the time, in li like in life, we can't give in to that fear. We have to sometimes face fear head on. So today, like I said, I have this mixture of fear and excitement. And the fear is only there because of maybe where society's at today and in, in looking at creation care, looking at um, how we view the earth. Um, and most of the time, it, it, there's so many objections when it comes to this idea of caring for this earth. So let me start by going through some objections to this idea of creation care. Um, so, and just so you, I want to, I grew up in the church, and these are many of the objections that I heard growing up, and many of the things that I kind of even believed to a certain extent. So, and if you're, if you don't care about our creation and environment, you need to really ask yourself why. Like, what's there? What's behind that? And so maybe some of these objections you've maybe bought into on some level. So the first one is, People matter, not the environment. People matter, not the environment. Well, what if God's for people and the environment? And what if maybe by caring for the environment, we're actually caring for people? Because if we care for the environment, cancer rates go down. So Kate and I moved away from a portion of the country, uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, that's called Cancer Alley. The last 100 miles of the Mississippi River is what they call Cancer Alley for one reason, because it has the highest cancer rates in the whole U.S. Um, and and for, I mean, for multiple reasons, but um, one of, I think there's multiple things going on there, but uh, one of the main things that it's attributed to is there's the petrochemical, there's all these plants all along the last hundred miles in the and, and so the cancer rates are just through the roof. So guess what? God cares about people, but he also cares about the space that people live in, right? So second objection. John, it's a political issue, not the church, not a church issue. This has only been true since 1972. Richard Sykes said this. It's not a red state issue. It's not a blue state issue. It's not a green issue. It's a spiritual issue. Issue. And um, only it's only been pub, it's only been one of those polit and I know it's a huge political issue right now. If you could actually set aside your politics and say, what if this is a God issue for the church? Number three, third objection. The environment, John, is 
not only a political issue, it's a liberal agenda and issue. Again, this has only been true for 40 years. And guess what? In this one, I would rather be biblical and follow God and take a little bit of heat than not respond to what God's doing. I would rather even be worried about a little label here and there than not follow Jesus in caring for his creation. Um, in Boston Harbor in the 1970s, it was so disgusting that nobody would take their families there. It was like the shame of Boston was the harbor. And um, there was one lady, her name was Vivian Lee. She was the lead legislator uh, for this place to clean up the harbor. And so people, people would never go to the beach with their family. And all of a sudden, because of her efforts in the community, all of a sudden, the beach is cleaned up. Families start going back to the beach, and they start hanging out at the beach, and they start walking along the beach. It was one of the great success stories of Boston. And the issue was that the church, Vivian Lee was a dedicated, faithful church member. Like a dedicated, faithful person that loved Jesus, dedicated to the local church, and she went to the, her local church, and... Her, Vivian Lee's name was like all, all over the papers. Everybody was publicly praising her. People were seeing her all over the place and just saying, oh, thank you what, for what you did for our city. Well, one day the church said, I guess we should honor Vivian for her efforts. What do we do? But they were afraid of what it might say if they honored her for her efforts for the whole city. So they said, well, what if we honored her for something else. And so they made her stand up in the middle of church and they said, we want to thank Vivian Lee today for all of her efforts because she's been leading uh, kids ministry, second grade kids ministry for a couple years now. And let's give her a big hand. And when, and everybody looked at her and they looked at the pastor and they said, what? Are you kidding? Are you kidding that you can't even say it because you're afraid of the word that, that, that might stick or that might, you're afraid of the word, oh, we might get labeled as liberal? And, and it was like this shame upon the church, like that they just couldn't honor her for her great efforts towards the city when the rest of the city was giving her honor. Number, the fourth objection. And this happened in the 1970s. So much of this stuff goes back 40, 50 years. But in the 1970s, this really big movement came into the Christian church that said, Jesus is going to return. The earth is going to burn up anyway, so go ahead and use it all up. Has anybody heard that before? Theologically, it's so wrong in every way. I want you to know that. Um, Jesus is going, Jesus is coming back to restore all things. But it's not destruction and recreation. Okay? And if you want to look at Acts 3.21 or Matthew 19.28. Even if it was all going to just burn up. Let's just say it's not going to. But even if it was, saying that the earth is going to die, therefore kill it now, is like saying our bodies are going to die. Let's just kill them off now. Just eat all the butter sticks and sugar cubes you can. Because they're, gonna, they're just going to pass away anyway. They're on their way out, right? Okay, so those are, I would say, the four main objectives.
questions that I hear from Christians when we tackle this issue. So let me give you the foundation of creation theory, which we talked about last week. Uh, here's our two guiding principles. God owns everything. God owns it all. And two, we were made to oversee what God owns. These are two foundational principles for the life of stewardship that we talk, started talking about last week. So, I grew up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And I grew up right behind my house where there was this big strawberry farm. And as a kid, I would go there and play. For, it was like my whole summer. I'd fill up a backpack with jars, go collect frogs and turtles and bugs and everything else down, down by the pond. Then I would go from the pond to this, this, um, this these cliffs that were, uh, cliffs, swallows were actually built in the, the edge of this cliff, it was the same cliff, these dune, sand dunes, and then I would wander down to the river, and I would pick through rocks, and so I, at a very young age, I had such an appreciation for God's creation, so I want you to know, like, that's, so even though I learned some of these objections in the church and through Christian people, like, there was this foundational thing that said, but God created this. I should care for this. Like, I'm experiencing the nearness of God through creation. And um, so I realized from a young age that God made my playground. When I went hunting and fishing back there, I, get, I was experiencing God. When I was collecting bugs and frogs and all that stuff, I was just experiencing God in nature. Well, the owner of that land, his name was Mr. Ledvina. Mr. Ledvina owned the strawberry farm. He had raspberries and strawberries. And um, Mr. Ledvina was the scariest man in the world. Um, and the rumors as kids, you heard that if he caught you on his land, he would throw you into the root cellar and leave you there. So as a kid, you have to remember, like, and he's like maybe 6'2", angry, stern man that I, he, everybody said that he hated kids, so I was just afraid to death. But I loved his land. All this stuff was on his land. And so I would go exploring. But I just, I'd always like try to duck out of his way. If I ever saw him on his, his four-wheeler coming through, I'd always duck to try to hide. Well, one day, there I am. I have a backpack on. And I'm walking from the pond to the dunes. And there, over the hill, comes Mr. Levina. And I panicked. I was like, oh. <gasps> And here's what Mr. Levine said, what are you doing? Who, who are you? And I was like, I'm, I'm John Maurer. And he knew my dad. He was, my dad's name is Jack. He's like, Jack's your son? I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, afraid he's going to throw me in the root cellar, right? Like, oh, no, what am I going to do? And so he said, you're not destroying my land, are you? And it was like one of those God moments where you just say the perfect thing as a nine-year-old boy. I said, Mr. Levina, I love you. And I care for your land when I'm out here. I would never do anything to destroy your land. And he looked at me and said, well, what do you mean by caring for my land? And I, I opened up my backpack. And there I had collected the trash from around the pond. And I showed him, I said, this is the trash that I found around your pond. And he goes, what? Like he was dumbfounded <laughs> that, that I would care about his property. 
And, and it was not like he ever asked me to do that. I just, I just wanted to because I didn't like the trash around, like, other kids that found it and threw parties there. And I was just cleaning it up because it was a place where I connected with God. And guess what happened as a result of that? Um, there was the, the, our property and his property. We went back to back. And uh, my dad had complained because one of my brothers got caught in the barbed wire fence between their houses. And Mr. Ledvina took down the barbed wire fence between our properties. Right after that, like two weeks later. And it was just one of those moments of like he saw a nine-year-old kid caring for his property. And I think sometimes God is looking at his kids saying, are you going to care for my property? This is something I made for you to enjoy. Can you just care a little bit? He saw my care and my management of his property. And so it shifted something in his heart. So there are two ways to live as Christians. Two ways. And the first way, there is a God, therefore nothing else matters. And this has been the, this has been the way societies lived for about 50 years. Previous to this was the second statement, and this was the first 1950 years of the church. They lived, there is a God, therefore everything else matters. Do you know the difference? There is a God, therefore everything in life matters. And when we can adopt that second one, we're actually staying true to being stewards of the resources that God has given us in this earth. John, are you sure that church history is filled with this second idea? At, let, let me just give you some quotes from some of these are what we call church fathers. Um, but they believe that everything matters. And today, Christians are afraid of, like, tying themselves to creation care. But historically, it was the church that led the march for caring for this earth. It's only been the last 50 years that that got switched around, okay? So let me give you, here's Irenaeus of Loins in 180, 150 years after Christ. The initial step for the soul to come to the knowledge of God is contemplation of nature. John Damascene, 7 30, the heavens declare the glory of God by manifesting to us through their own greatness the power of the creator. When we remark on their beauty, we give glory to their maker as the best of all craftsmen. St. Bonaventure, 1240, all creation of the world has led the mind of the contemplative to the eternal God. For these creatures are shadows, echoes, pictures, and signs divinely given so that we can see God. Martin Luther, 1540, the power of God is present in all places, even in the tiniest leaf. God is currently and personally present in the wilderness, in the garden, and in the fields. John Calvin, 1560, the little birds singing are singing of God. The beasts cry unto him. The elements are in awe of him. The mountains echo his name. The waves and streams cast their gaze at him. The herbs and flowers praise him. Paul of the Cross, 1760. Listen to the sermon preached to you by the flowers, trees, throughout the sky, and the whole world. Notice how they teach you a sermon full of love, full of praise to God, and how they invite you to glorify the sovereign artist 
who has given them being. John Stott, 1950. Christian people should surely have been on the vanguard of the movement for the environmental responsibility because of our doctrines of creation and stewardship. Did God make the world? Does he sustain it? Has he committed its resources to our care? His personal concern for his own creation should be sufficient to inspire us to be equally concerned. Rick Warren, 1980. We cannot be all that God wants us to be without caring for the earth. And I could go on and on, and we don't have time at all. It's time that we rediscover the values that have been lost, that were once held so tight by the Christian church for the first 19, especially 1950 years, and really be on the leading edge of promoting creation care. So, um, let me give you a working definition today of what creation, when I say creation care, what are you talking about, John? Uh, here's, here's our working definition for today. Creation care is the idea that we should care for, manage, and nurture what we've been given the earth. Care for, manage, and nurture what we've been given the earth. So in Genesis 1, God creates and then he affirms. What does he affirm? What does he say? It's good. It is good. He creates trees. He creates the sea, the plants. He creates everything, the animals, and he says, it's good. It's good. God saw what he created. So it's, it's like God creates. He steps back and he sees what he made and says, man, that's good. Why is his creation so eager sometimes to destroy what God is saying is good, right? It just doesn't make sense to me. Let's not destroy what God calls good. So let me go through a couple reasons why creation is good. First of all, it's a blessing. As stewards, we must look at God's creation as a blessing, something actually sacred. When we see the splendor of creation, we should stand in beauty and awe of creation, whether it be a sunset a mountain range, a valley, or an ocean. It is a blessing to human humanity. Why also is creation good? Um, and this is huge, guys, because it displays God's glory. Creation displays God's glory. Paul told us that God reveals himself not only through Scripture and through the ministry of Jesus, but also through creation, through nature. Paul tells us in Romans that all humanity knows there is a God because he's revealed himself through nature, through creation. That God gives us undeniable proof of a loving creator. And here is Romans 1.20. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature. If creation is a major reassurance of God's majesty, why would we think we could ever destroy it? If creation is destroyed, how can people see? Like, if I didn't have that playground on Mr. Levina's property, I, I don't know where I'd be today. There's something about that space 
where it opened up something deep in my heart towards God. How can people actually see? Guess what? There's imagery throughout the Bible where people find God through nature. They find God. A mighty rushing wind, a refreshing river, um, rain in a dry and dusty land, an oasis in a desert. And Jesus saw nature as a way of illuminating the gospel. The par- there's parables of seeds and crops and soil and trees. They abound in Jesus' teaching, right? Unfolding deep spiritual truths. So if there's so much beauty in nature and we experience God speaking to us through it, doesn't it make sense that the church should lead the way in caring for creation? Um, third reason why creation is good, um, and this is probably the most basic of all, because it provides resources for us. It resources humanity. God made it that way for us to use the resources that he created. So at a Christian summer camp for kids, there was a counselor. His name was Ray. And Ray was had all the kids sit down by a screen. And he said, kids, do you see all this creation, that, everything that God created? And he said, there's a reason why God created all this stuff. But why do you guys think that God created the dirt? And some kids, slowly, they would raise their hand. They said, so that we could plant food. Well, why do you think God created the clouds? And kids would say, to, for rain. And why do you think God would create this? And all the kids had answers for the clouds and the trees and the rocks and rivers and animals. And uh, Ray was ready to conclude the conversation and kind of move on when one of the kids raised their hand and said, why did, what's the, what is there a good reason for poison ivy? <laughs> and Ray gulped and he, he struggled with what to say. And as Ray's trying to figure out how does he actually answer this question, Uh, Another kid comes to Ray's rescue and says, the reason God made poison ivy is because he wants us to know there are certain things that we've got to keep our cotton-picking hands off of. (laughs) Okay, right? But God has given us creation not to abuse but to use. It provides resources for kids. God's kids, right? So let's be wise stewards of it. And sometimes we got to learn that we got to keep our cotton-picking hands off some things, okay? But the land produces. It provides plants and fruit and vegetables and building resources. That was God's plan to provide. And how we manage our land and how we take care of our natural resources is important because it's part of God's great big plan for resourcing his children, and providing for us. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to John 20. And I want to show you this little sweet scripture. And there's going to be a line at the end that most of you have read a hundred times, but you actually haven't digested it. And you actually, maybe you won't even recognize it when we get there. But turn to John 20, verse, verse 1. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came from the tomb and she found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where we have put, where they have put him. Now skip down to verse 11. Jesus is missing right here. And Mary's concerned that Jesus is missing, okay? 
Verse 11, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped in and looked, and she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angel asked her. Because they, had take, because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. Verse 14, she turned to leave and saw somebody standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. And then Jesus says this to Mary, dear woman, why are you crying? And Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought that Jesus was a gardener. Mary thought Jesus was a gardener. Now, I want you to know that John is commuting, communicating so much in this one little line. That last line. You guys know that the story of creation begins in a garden? You know that new creation began in a garden where Jesus' body was resurrected? Do you know that it's all going to end in a garden? Right? Why does Mary think that Jesus is a gardener? I think that John's pointing out that Jesus is the true gardener, the creator of all good things, the planter, the cultivator, the sustainer. Because God calls us to be gardeners of creation, stewards of creation, to care for creation. The first commission that God's people found, which we talked about this last week, is in the opening chapters of Genesis which calls us to be caretakers of his creation. Genesis 2, 15, the call, the mission command to the very first humans was this. The Lord God placed man in the garden of Eden to tend and care for it. This was and is the biblical responsibility of God's people. Tend his garden, care for it. Because we're created in God's image to tend, care, serve, and protect creation. So, are you guys familiar with uh, King Hezekiah in the Old Testament? Uh, the prophet Isaiah went to King Hezekiah because King Hezekiah wasn't thinking about the future. So, Isaiah confronts him and informs King Hezekiah that his descendants are going to be exiled and they're going to be in slavery in the future. They're going to be exiled to Babylon. And do you know what King Hezekiah's response is? He says in verse 19, at least there will be peace and security in my lifetime. He doesn't care about the future. He doesn't care about leaving a legacy. Guys, it's time to care. It's time to leave a legacy. It's time to get, it's, it's starting to get more and more difficult to ignore that the, sign, the signs of creation is under siege by gross human mismanagement. It's harder, it's, I mean, you see it everywhere, like, like Kate and I moved from Cancer Alley. Thank God, right? Like, I actually, we had that conversation. We're like, we're raising our kids in like the most cancer-infested place in America. And then God opened up the door. We're like, yay, let's go, let's go, let's go. But that wasn't the, uh, that wasn't the reason. But <laughs> Because I think the church has not been the steward of creation that God's called us to. That's my point this morning. And what if, what if a couple of us stood up 
what if a couple of us became gardeners? So I want to call you to action. I want to call you to become a gardener. Um, and some, some of you are going to have to stand up. And like the heat that the Christian community might get for one of those objections that I talked about in the beginning, you might have to take a little bit of heat. So I was when I was in college, I was driving from my, my family's home in Elk Divinity School, Michigan, back to Central Michigan University. It was uh, six hours away. And I was driving through the roads going from Escanaba, Michigan, to St. Ignace, Michigan. Now, the interstates there are like one lane each direction, okay? So, and they're, they're winding. They're swerving back and forth. And I got stuck behind this car, and I was just, I was daydreaming. I don't know. I was just there, and I'm, I, I was trying to pass them. And as I was trying to pass them, I was getting ready to pass them, um, the driver threw out, like, the Sunday edition of the, like, the, a huge paper, like the Sunday edition. And as he threw it out, it was one of those moments where it just scattered in the wind. Some of them hit my windshield and flew around my car, but it just scattered. And I remember seeing it in my rearview mirror that, like, this newspaper just, like, was everywhere, right? And so I'm like, oh, man, these dirty, rotten scoundrels that are, like, so it, it was a state, it was a car from Colorado from out of the state. And I was thinking, okay, and that was, and then I saw their bumper sticker. And their bumper sticker said, I love Jesus. <laughs> and I was thinking, what? Are you kidding me? And then following them, and, I, and like I have grace, right? For people, we have grace as we're trying to figure out life. Maybe something happened and it accidentally flew out the window. Okay, I just gave them some grace. Well, next thing you know, they threw out a bag out of the, the car, the driver's side window. It was like a, a fast food bag that just kind of shattered and the drink went all over the road. And I was thinking, oh, are you kidding me? Come on. So I was in that moment. I'm praying for them and say, said, you know, what's my response? You don't want to be a jerk. You don't want to be to respond in anger. But you do want to respond. Like, I felt like, and if they weren't, if, if they didn't have that bumper sticker, I probably would have just let it go. But here I was. I just kind of stayed behind them. They pulled into a gas station eventually. And... They pumped their gas, and I was pumping my gas behind them. And I said, hey, you're from Colorado. Um, how do you like the Upstream Michigan? They're like, it's so beautiful. <laughs> the irony there, right? It's so beautiful. It's so amazing. And I'm like, yeah, isn't it beautiful? I, this is like my, my playground as a kid. This is where I experienced God in such a unique way. And we're chatting back about that. We're chatting about where they live in Colorado. And then... I'm at this moment where I know I have to just say something. I said, just so you know, um, I, did, I saw you throw that newspaper out and then the fast food bag, and you could see, like, the moment of change <laughs> on your face. And then I just said, this is, like, my, my playground. Like, like God, God's here as I walk the field. And God's here as I bike and as I backpack. And, and just don't destroy this this area. And I was like, I tons of grace, but I also wanted to stand up, right? And they looked down, they didn't say anything, then they looked back up and they got eye to eye and they said, I'm sorry. 
and I realize I just won somebody over. And the next thing they're tempted to throw something out their window that probably, maybe, hopefully won't. I don't know. Let me give you a couple practical tips today. Number one, make a choice to live like there is a God, therefore everything else matters. Everything else matters. Not just some things, but everything matters. Everything matters in life. And I think if we can adopt this, all of a sudden we start to view things that we viewed as not part of our spiritual lives. Like it's like, oh, God wants to speak and show up in these different areas, not just at church, but in a conversation. And in a walk, as you take a walk where you can experience God, like all of a sudden, life opens up to experiencing God in more places, okay? So what if we live like there is a God, therefore everything else matters. So start to live with more care. Adopt that for a while. There is a God, therefore everything else matters in my life. Everything matters. Number two, become a gardener. Uh, and this is really based off that John 20 text that, that we read. Um, but I want to encourage you to become a gardener. And you can become a gardener in all kinds of different ways. I'm not saying a kid's like a gardener, okay? I'm just saying, let's. what if we got outside more often? What if we got outside more often? What if we go camping and hiking? I think the biggest thing for me that forms something deep inside my soul towards creation is just getting outside and playing. Just getting outside, going to parks. Go take walks more often. Just get outside. All of a sudden, you start to say, this is beautiful. This is God's country. This is, this is, this is what God created for us to enjoy. Go walk, bike. Um, if you're not recycling, start to recycle. A carpool if you can. Use re renewable resources for some people instead of like just all those plastic bottles. What if you use an LG? I know we still lose them, but still, it's not as, you can keep an algae for, for years and use that. Uh, visit your local farmer's market. Uh, San Dimas has a great farmer's market. Glendora does. Sorry, Laverne. Um, they canceled theirs. Uh, grow a garden. Track your home energy use. Turn off lights. Plant trees. Um, avoid buying just more stuff. Right? Borrow rather than buy. Reduce your junk mail. You can go to eco-cycle.org. And it'll, it'll show you how to reduce your junk mail. So all of us, we get all these promotions for credit cards. Like, I don't know how, but they, like I get 10 a week. What do you do with them all? You just, I just chuck them. Just chuck them. You can actually get off those lists. All the extra stuff, you can get off those lists. And if you go to eco-cycle.org, it'll help you uh, navigate that. Um, compost. Don't toss it. Gift it. I love that. So instead of just tossing stuff, give it away to Goodwill, or just give it away as a gift. Wrap it up and give it to somebody. That's great. Um, maybe use healthy cleaning supplies. I think the list could go on and on and on, but these are some small ways for us to say we want to become a gardener. We want to follow your spirit in caring for this place called Earth that you have given to us to care for as yours. And um, here's the last one. Read Try Robinson book called Saving God's Green Earth, um, and this is a pastor friend of mine that, he's a vineyard pastor, he lives in Boise, Idaho, and he wrote this book, a lot of what I talked about today is found in here, and um, I would highly encourage you to, to find a book, 